Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. Harvest Lakeshore is a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. turn with me to Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Renee, for sharing that with us this morning. I want to encourage you uh, and uh, invite you each week when you come to uh, pick up a copy of the, uh, uh, the, the little handout that we have for you. Um, uh, this week, uh, Sarah was gracious enough to supply us with some background material. We launch into a study of the book of Ephesus or Ephesians today. And uh, so it's sometimes nice to get a little background information regarding uh, the culture, the city, the people, uh, the author of the book, and the people that were receiving the book. And so, again, we're just uh, very grateful for Sarah to uh, giving that to us and providing that for us. Uh, and I invite you just to take some time, not necessarily right now, but uh, take some time when you have a chance to sort of look through that, leaf through that, kind of read through that. And, um, uh, again, it'll be something that we will occasionally refer back to, but also something that you can look at. And uh, maybe if you choose to kind of go through the book of Ephesians while we're doing it here, maybe doing it on your own, reading through it, uh, again, it'll just supply you with uh, some, I hope, some pertinent and beneficial and uh, helpful information um, along the way. But again, just um, thankful to be able to have that. And thanks to Sarah for putting that together uh, for us today that we can uh, benefit from that. We live in a culture that is um, always looking for a reason to celebrate. It's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of who we are. Um, the year begins with uh, New Year's celebrations, and we welcome and celebrate the New Year as we bring it in. And then it's just a, a week or two after that that we celebrate the college football playoffs. Uh, then it's the NFL playoffs. And then typically right around the first Sunday in February, we have the Super Bowl, and there are Super Bowl gatherings and Super Bowl parties and different things that we celebrate with that. Shortly after that, we get into middle of February, and it's Valentine's Day that we celebrate. And then we begin to gather for NCAA basketball tournament celebrations. And that takes us into March, and we really celebrate even more if our team makes it to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or the Final Four. And it's just sort of a whole month of just kind of celebrating that and kind of, kind of having times of gathering together all about that. And that is quickly followed by uh, certainly a, a, a holiday, a celebration that's more important than any of those things, and that's Easter. It's the day that we celebrate and commemorate uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then as we move from spring into summer, we celebrate Memorial Day and then Fourth of July and Labor Day. All of those holidays provide us many reasons to rejoice. They provide us with many, many different reasons to, to celebrate together. 
And then as we get into fall, we celebrate the kids going back to school, and then we celebrate the World Series, and then we celebrate Halloween, and then here we are. Here we are in the week that we celebrate Thanksgiving, and as Hugh reminded us this morning, just so many things that we ought to be and can be thankful for. And then right after Thanksgiving, we're into all kinds of Christmas activities. There are celebrations at work and celebrations at school and celebrations in our community, celebrations that we have with family and, and friends and all those kind of things. So as I mentioned a moment ago, we live in a culture that loves to celebrate. We're always looking for reasons to celebrate. And that's a perfectly good thing. But on a national level, the truth is that, um, you know, it's been a difficult year to celebrate. I mean, what with our nation's economy, with inflation being at record levels, uh, with uh, the price of gas and the price of groceries, the stock market has fallen 25%. Uh, we just had midterm elections, and I don't know about you, but during the elections, I just get uh, kind of so turned off by all the, the negative advertising, and this year was filled with even more uh, accusations of voter fraud and voter intimidation. Uh, we have all those kind of things. And then, you know, just again this past week, we had, we had issues at, a, at a University of Virginia and students that lost their lives there. And out in, in Utah, uh, issues there with students that were, were killed in, in a tragic situation, just violence. Globally, there's the situation in Ukraine and all the tragedies are taking, all the atrocities are taking place there. And then we think about uh, what's happening to women and what they're experiencing in Iran and Afghanistan. You know, though we have a lot of holidays that we celebrate, the truth is it's kind of been a difficult year to celebrate. And on a personal level, a lot of people find it difficult, uh, find it hard to find a, a reason to celebrate. Um, you know, we uh, young people, uh, they uh, look at their lives and look at their situations, and they think, you know, um, I just don't always feel good about myself. I don't always feel good about the circumstances and the situations of my life. Sometimes we feel like an outsider. Sometimes we feel like maybe we're not even accepted by our family or we don't really fit in. A lot of adults struggle with finding purpose and meaning in life. Uh, nothing really seems to bring any lasting peace or lasting contentment. We thought our jobs would bring fulfillment, but oftentimes our jobs don't bring us that much fulfillment. And even though raising children is a blessing, a lot of times, a lot of days, there's a lot of frustrating things that go along with raising kids. So even though as a culture we love to celebrate, as individuals we sometimes struggle to find anything that actually brings any lasting joy into our lives. Well, today we're going to begin a study, and it's a study of a very important topic. It's a study of a very important book, and in this book we are going to learn that we have reasons to celebrate. There is something that really does bring genuine meaning into our lives. There is something that brings lasting joy into our lives, lasting purpose, and lasting peace. Today we begin a study through the book of Ephesians. And we're gonna discover this morning as we start looking at the opening chapter of Ephesians that our salvation is actually the greatest reason for our celebration. Being in Christ, and therefore, being in community with other believers, with each other, is our greatest source of rejoicing. If you look at the opening two verses of Ephesians chapter 1, of uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the church of the city of Ephesus, he indicates that he was an apostle. That word apostle means someone sent on a mission, usually with a very specific message. And he speaks of himself as an apostle uh, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. 
He speaks of his readers as saints. That word means holy ones. It speaks of those that have been set apart from sin and set apart to God. And these are saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So on the one hand, you have the author Paul, who was sent on a mission by the will of God with a message that was centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, you have a group of recipients that were set apart to God for the purpose of living faithful in Jesus Christ. And Paul's greatest desire for them as they read this letter as they, and as they grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, his greatest desire for them is that they experience the grace of God and experience peace with God, a grace and a peace that he describes as coming from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And really, much of the rest of this letter builds off of that. It builds off of those two ideas of experiencing God's grace and experiencing His peace. He builds on that as he continues to write in verse 3 and following, where he outlines the past, the present, as well as future aspects of a salvation that comes from the grace of God and results in our experiencing peace with God. It's a salvation that places us individually in Christ, but also corporately together in community. It's a salvation that results in our receiving a brand new identity, and it ties in with our identity statement. In Christ, we are a redeemed family, a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. Paul writes in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's kind of interesting that Paul would use the word bless three times in just this one verse. So to use that word that many times in just one verse, there must be something special about that word, must be something that he wants us to know and understand about that word. So the question is, what does he mean by that word bless? Well, it's a translation of a Greek word from which we get our English word eulogy. Now, a eulogy is something that is typically uh, done at a funeral. Somebody has passed away, and maybe they'll go to a family member, to a friend of that person, and say, would you eulogize this person? Would you get up and say a few words of praise, a few words of commendation about this person, about their life, about how they impacted your life? And that's kind of the idea. That's kind of the meaning of the word that we find here. The word that is used means to praise or to commend. And in this text, it refers to God's kindness to us, the blessings that he gives to us, and then our praise, our appreciation, our commendation back to him because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So when Paul uses that word three times in verse 3, his readers would have understood that what he is about to describe is God's greatest kindness to us and our greatest reason to express our thanksgiving, our praise, our gratitude, our commendation back to him. And again, specifically what he's about to describe are the truths of our salvation, the greatest reason for our celebration. And in verses 3 to 6, he begins by sharing with us the truths about God's pre-temporal, pre-time, sovereign act of electing who will be saved. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul reminds us 
that divine election is actually part of how God the Father has blessed us in Christ with every single spiritual blessing. He wants us to view divine election in that light. Usually when we think of divine election, we just scratch our heads, right? We find it confusing. We find it hard to understand. Sometimes we find it a little bit hard to believe. Paul doesn't want us looking at it that way. He wants us looking at our, the totality of our salvation, but specifically divine election as a blessing from God the Father, something that we are to praise him for, something that we are to commend him for. So here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, he shares with us some things about divine election, some important things about divine election. He starts off by sharing with us that election must be understood for us to experience its blessedness. In other words, we'll never be able to praise God or commend God for all the benefits of divine election until we come to understand certain truths about that divine election. And he gives us a few of those here in verse 3 and verse 4, where he writes, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So what do we need to understand about divine election to be able to uh, rejoice over it and to be able to experience its blessedness? Well, the first thing is this. It happened before creation. It happened before creation. Paul writes that God chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. So in that pre-creation, pre-temporal, pre-time eternity, God formed a purpose. That purpose concerned both Christ and us. God put us and Christ together. He determined to make us, who did not yet exist, his own children through the redeeming work of Christ, which had not yet taken place. And the verb that Paul chooses here, the verb that Paul chose under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually indicates that God's choice was totally independent. In other words, God's choice was completely by himself and for himself. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to ignore or discard the frequent commandments that we find in Scripture directing the unsaved to respond in faith to Christ. I know that God's sovereign election and man's exercise of responsibility in choosing Christ, I know and you know that at times that seems conflicting. They seem in opposition to each other. They seem as sort of irreconcilable truths. But that's only from our side of things, not from God's side of things. So our responsibility is to believe both truths completely. And sometimes we just have to leave the harmonizing of all of that to God. His sovereign election of us and our responsibility to choose Christ in faith are both integral and inseparable parts of salvation. Though how exactly they fit together in full unison, well, only the infinite mind of God can fully understand that. We're never going to come away from a study of divine election. We're not going to come away from a study of Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 saying, I get it. At best, we're going to come away saying, I get it a little better. I understand it a little more. I see the blessedness of it. I see the blessing in it. I want to praise God for it. I want to commend him for it. 
So election must be understood for us to experience its blessedness. And the first thing that Paul wants us to understand is that it happened before creation. The second thing that he wants us to understand is that it places us in Christ. The second reality about divine election that we must come to know is that it puts us in the body of Christ. It puts us in the church. It puts us in this redeemed family. He chose us to be in Christ. And the preposition that is used there, in, is a directional term. So it's the idea that he has placed us. We have been moved in that direction. We are now in Jesus Christ. And the object of divine election given here is us. Well, who is the us? Well, the us is a church. The us is a group of saints, a group of people that have been set apart from sin and set apart to God. So the object of election is us, not everyone, but those identified or who will identify with his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. The outcome of our election is that we were chosen by God before time began to be placed in Christ, and we will remain in Christ after all of time has run its course. Now, again, I understand that those things are difficult sometimes to comprehend and put our heads around, and that's okay. There are things about God that we will never fully understand, things about God that this side of eternity that will cause us to scratch our heads, but it shouldn't stop us from believing them. It shouldn't stop us from praising God for them. It shouldn't stop us from seeing the blessing in them. So Paul wants us to understand some things about divine election. He wants us to understand that it happened before creation. He wants us to understand that it places us in Christ. Then third, he wants us to understand that it's based on God's love and God's grace. It's based upon God's love and his kindness. So the third reality about divine election that we must come to know and believe is that God's election of a person to salvation is entirely of his love. It's entirely of his grace. I mean, look at the end of verse 4 going into verse 5. He says, in love, God predestined us. In other words, God's perfect plan for the destiny of his creatures conforms perfectly with his love. It is perhaps the supreme act of his love. And the biblical word that is used here for love is that Greek word agape. And we know that the word agape refers to more than just the feelings of love or the emotions of love. It actually refers to a disposition of the heart, a disposition disposition of the heart that causes someone to seek the welfare and to meet the needs of others. That's the word used here. So God's election of us in eternity past was based solely on his desire to seek our welfare and solely upon his desire to meet our needs. And he did this, as we're told in verse 5, according to the kind intention of his will. He didn't do it because of some good quality that he saw in us. We didn't even exist at that point in time. He chose us simply because of his unmerited favor. He chose us because of his amazing grace. He made his choice based upon his undeserved kindness and based upon his boundless love. So Paul wants us to understand those things. He wants us to understand that it happened before creation, it places us in Christ, and it's based upon God's love and God's kindness. 
Until we come to understand those things, we'll never be able to give God the praise that he deserves. We'll not be able to give the commendation to God that he deserves for our salvation. We'll never really see its blessedness until we see that it's all of God. It is all of God, all of God. But there's more here. There's something else that Paul wants us to see. And so as he goes on in verse four, five, and six, he reminds us, he tells us, that election actually produces, divine election actually produces three results that enable us to experience its blessedness. He writes in verse 4, even as he chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world. Why? Why did he do that? What are the results? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Why? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And what's the whole purpose of this? It's all according to his will. It's all according to his will. So what are the three results that Paul highlights here that we must understand and come to praise and commend God for if we're going to come to grips with the blessedness of divine election? Well, the first result is this. The first result is moral excellence. The first result of divine election is moral excellence. Again, he writes in verse 4 that God chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. So God's election to salvation results in our being saints. That word saints that he used back in verse 1 and verse 2 is the identical same word that he uses here for holy. The word holy means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from sin and set apart to God. So when it comes to God's divine election, the result is that I, we become saints, holy, set apart from sin to God. And it also results in our being blameless. That, world, that word speaks of being without blemish or without spot. So God's election to salvation results in our being set apart from sin to God without blemish spotless. So as a result of God's electing choice, his electing grace, his electing love, we have a standing before God of moral excellence. We have a standing before God of moral perfection. He sees us totally set apart from sin, totally set apart to himself, absolutely without any sinful blemish. He sees us blameless before him. Folks, that's our standing. That's our position in Christ. Now, certainly, at least I'll say for myself, my daily practice does not live up to that standard. Our daily practice falls short, but our position never falls short. We are as secure in that position as our Savior is in that position because God has placed us in Christ. That's where we are, in Christ. So no matter what anyone else says or thinks, no matter what I think or say, this is my position before God. What an, and what an awesome thought that is. What an amazing blessing. What a cause for rejoicing and celebration. In fact, there is no greater reason for celebration than the fact that as a result of God's electing grace, his divine election, we stand before God with a position of moral excellence a position of moral excellence. Here's the second result. The second result is adoption into God's family. Adoption in God's family. Look at verse five. 
Paul writes, he predestined us, he elected us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So the second result of God's election is that it gives us a reason to rejoice. And that reason to rejoice is our adoption into God's family. To be saved, to be redeemed, to be part is to be part of God's family. And not only do we become, we become a part of God's family, but we are brand new creatures in Christ. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away and new things have come. So not only are we part of his family, but we have God's divine nature. We have real, the real life of God in us. Now, that's not something that's ever true when we think about human adoption. In human adoption, children become part of families. They are fully part of those families. They are loved by those families, but no human parent can impart his or own, his or own distinct nature into that adopted child. Yet that is exactly what God miraculously does to every person whom he has elected and who has trusted in Christ. He makes us new creatures in Christ with new natures, brand new creations. He makes us full children with his divine nature. I like the way Jerry Bridges puts it. He says this about our being adopted into God's family. He says, I am an adopted son of God. I am a child of the king. I have the privilege in this life of an intimate father-child relationship with him. And I look forward with expectant hope to an eternal inheritance that is far more glorious than anything I could ever imagine. Folks, that is a result of God's divine election. We are adopted into God's family, given his, given his nature. We become brand new creations in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17, for you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Chosen by God, we become part of his forever family. We become heirs of his immeasurable estate that includes all of time and all of eternity. It includes the entire universe. Folks, that is something that is so amazing. That gives us great reason for rejoicing. That gives us great reason for our celebration. So Paul wants us to understand that there are three important results of divine election that we must kind of get our arms, our, our, our heads around and our hearts around to experience its blessedness. The first is that it results in moral excellence. The second is that it results in our adoption into God's family. And the third is that it results in the display of God's glory, a display, I'm sorry, of God's grace, his glorious grace. Look at verse five again. He writes, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to what end? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So when it comes to divine election, the ultimate question is, why did God do all of this? What is the goal of all of this? Why did he choose us to be his children? Why did he choose us to make, why did he choose to make us holy and blameless? Why, why did, he, did he choose to do this according to the purpose of his will? Well, it's all been done for one ultimate result, one ultimate reason, 
And that reason is to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. Above all else, God elects to salvation for his own glory. God chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world in order that no human could boast. No human can take glory in himself or for himself or for herself. All the glory is his. Salvation is not partly of God and partly of man. Salvation is entirely of God, entirely of his grace. So he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. He gets all the commendation. Ultimately, he's the reason for our rejoicing. He's the reason for our celebration. So think about that with me for a moment. Maybe you're a young person in the, in the audience here today, or maybe you're watching at home. And as a young person, you have come to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But, um, you know, you just uh, don't always feel good about life, right? Uh, sometimes you feel like you're ignored by the popular crowd at school, or you're always kind of on the outs with the in people. Maybe at home you feel like you're treated a bit like an accident, Maybe when you look in the mirror as a young person, you don't really like what you see and you wish things were different. Well, let me share something with you. Let me share with you an awesome cause for your celebration as a young person. God was thinking about you before time began. Just process that for a moment. Before time began, God was thinking about me. You stand before God. You stand before him perfect and without blame, no matter what other people think, no matter what you see in the mirror, when God looks at you, the way he sees you is holy and blameless. He has brought you into his forever family. He has called you to be his own. He has given you his nature. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Or maybe you're that follower of Jesus Christ who has really struggled with your vocation and in your job. Maybe you keep getting passed over for a promotion. Maybe you feel somewhat unappreciated and humiliated at work. Maybe you've even been eliminated in a recent downsizing. You had a lot of dreams for your career, but now you find yourself in kind of a, a dead-end situation and there's little or no satisfaction. You work hard, but you just don't feel like you're making any difference in that career path. Well, if that's the way you're thinking, I want you to stop and realize something very important, that even in that difficult job situation you're in, you have an awesome cause for celebration. If you are in Christ, you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. He chose you to be his. He placed you in Christ. He set you apart to himself. He brought you securely into his family. You are the focus of his eternal attention and the greatest display of his glorious grace. Work is tough. Work is not easy. Things don't always go well at work. But in Christ, you are, we are blessed. We are blessed. Or maybe you're here today as a, a wife or a mom who has trusted Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, sometimes as a wife and mom, uh, feeling special is kind of a, kind of a rare emotion. Uh, on wedding day, you felt pretty important. And maybe the day that that little one was delivered into your life and into your family, you felt pretty important. But it seems like most of the, the days since then 
have been filled either with complaining by the kids or criticism from others or whatever it might be. And maybe some of those, those feelings you had at the beginning of all this have kind of dissipated. Well, listen carefully. No matter the heartaches, no matter the heartbreaks, you've got a reason to rejoice. You've been at the center of God's attention since before time began. He set you apart just for him. He has made you his eternal child. He loves you with an everlasting life, love. And all of that, all of that is to the praise, the wonder, the majesty of his glorious grace. That is cause for joy. That is cause for celebration. No matter what you might think, no matter what others might say, you are blessed. You are blessed. And folks, I understand that every one of us finds the truth of divine election difficult. It's hard to teach about divine election because we're basically teaching on something that we don't fully understand, nor can we fully put into words, nor can we fully get our arms around, nor can we fully explain it. So just the whole idea of teaching it is kind of a difficult thing. So we find its truth difficult. We ask questions like, didn't I choose God? Someone asked that. To which we must answer, yes, indeed, you did, and freely, but only because in eternity past, God first chose you. Somebody else says, didn't I decide for Christ? To which we must reply, yes, indeed, you did, and freely, but only because in eternity past, God had first decided for you. I know that's hard for us to understand. I don't fully understand that. I can't fully get my head or heart around that but it's the teaching of Scripture. It's unlikely that we will ever find on this side of eternity a solution to these kind of issues that have baffled the best minds of biblical Christianity for centuries. But you know, I think there are at least three very basic essential truths that this text does call us to grasp, that it does call us to remember and understand and to celebrate together. And let me share those with you as we close this morning. Here's the first one. The truth of election is divine revelation, not human speculation. Paul and Peter and John and the other apostles didn't gather in a dark, smoky room, you know, the weeks following Christ's ascension back to heaven and say, hey, we've got to come up with an idea. No, it wasn't invented by the apostles. It wasn't invented by a group of early Christians from the past. It is without a question a biblical doctrine And therefore, we should not deny it. We should not ignore it. We should realize that it's one of those blessings by which we've been blessed in Christ with all the blessings that God has given to us. So the truth of election is divine revelation. It is not human speculation. Secondly, the truth of election is actually an incentive to holiness and not an excuse to sin. Though the doctrine gives us strong assurance of security and perseverance, since he who chose us and called us will surely keep us to the end, our security cannot be used to condone, much less encourage sin. In fact, if you think about it, far from encouraging sin, instead, the truth of election actually lays upon us the necessity of holiness. Because holiness and blamelessness is one of the very purposes of our election. So ultimately, it is the evidence of election, or ultimately the evidence of election is that holy and blameless life that we seek to live in Christ. So the truth of election is an incentive for holiness. It is not an excuse 
for sin. And then this third one, the truth of election is a stimulus for humility. It is not a basis for boasting. It's a stimulus for humility, not a basis for boasting. Some might think that to believe oneself to be one of God's chosen people is about the most arrogant thought that anyone could entertain. And on the one hand, I can understand some of that, but the opposite is actually the case. The reason why he chose us was in himself, not in us. It was in his love, not in our merit. It was in his grace, not in our goodness. The whole emphasis of these opening verses of Ephesians 1 is God's grace, God's love, God's will, God's purpose, God's choice. Simply put, the whole emphasis is on God. It's all on God. So the truth of our election is not a stimulation for boasting. It's actually a basis for our humility, our humility. Therefore, the truth of divine election, however many its unresolved issues in our minds, should lead us to righteousness, not to sin, should lead us to humble, adoring gratitude, not to boasting, to giving God all the praise, to giving God all the commendation. Its practical consequences should always be that we live holy and blameless before him, verse 4, and that we live to the praise of his glorious grace, verse 6. Why? Because in Christ, in God's purpose and divine election, we are blessed. We are blessed. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you today for what Paul teaches us in these opening verses of Ephesians chapter 1, what he teaches us about what it means to be in Christ and in community. And Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths of salvation. We thank you, Father, for these, these, this information, these truths about divine election. Father, I admit this morning that uh, uh, just the very um, idea, the very task of having to talk about these things and communicate these things, things that are only fully understood in the infinite mind of God, they're hard to communicate. They're hard to share. They're, they're hard to, to say it all in the proper way and with the proper words. And it's hard, Lord, for us to fully understand these things. And yet this is part of the blessings with which God has blessed us in Christ in the heavenly places. So we thank you for these truths today. We thank you for the work of salvation that you have done. And Father, as we, 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 we ponder this week uh, thanksgiving and gratitude and all the wonderful things that we ought to be thankful for, Father, might we rejoice first and foremost. Might we celebrate first and foremost our salvation. Might we celebrate uh, your work in our salvation, that of divine election. We give you praise for it. We give you glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. If you have found this content helpful, consider sharing the episode with friends or leave us a rating and review. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. You are loved.